Hi, welcome back to Shop Talk with the Sheriff. I'm Sheriff Gregory Tony here in Broward County, Florida. Thank you all for joining us again on our podcast. You know, we've been doing this thing for quite some time now, episode after episode. For those of you who've been following us, uh, welcome back. I say thanks again. But you also notice I have a theme. I always try to, you know, dive around. I'll snatch somebody up from a community program. I'll bring an internal employee. Um, we'll bring out different stakeholders and guests, people who are actively engaged in the community. Today, I've elected the state in-house to bring in one of our members from our CPIS, our Child Protective Investigative Services, which is a huge uh, undertaking that we have here as a sheriff's office. Very unique. Not every sheriff's office in the state uh, actually manages CPIS. Uh, that is normally a responsibility that falls under the Department of Children and Families. But back in 1999, the sheriff's office was part of this massive pilot program to see if we could do the job better. And we could not be able to do that job unless we had outstanding managers and employees that work in CPIS. And so today, one of our Child Protective Investigators uh, section manager will be joining us today, Mia Pickney. Hello. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're excited to have you on. This is going to be fun, guys. Uh, you know, strapping your seatbelt because Mia's going to really, you know, push the envelope and tell you about what she does and how much fun she has in her uh, unit. But before we can do that, before I can go through and dive into CPIS, I got to talk a little bit about Mia. You know, she's one of our managers, as I mentioned. She's been with the organization for 18 years, uh, so she's most certainly a veteran of our organization. Started her career with Child Protective Investigator, uh, as a Child Protective Investigator, which goes to show you she is truly uh, a veteran in her craft. Uh, she hasn't jumped disciplines. She's been focused on getting the things done there. Comes by way of uh, establishing an undergraduate degree in criminal justice out of Florida AM AMU. Go ahead, get out your skin. Go Rattlers. Go Rattlers. There you go. <laughs> uh, and then later went on to Nova Southeastern University to complete a master's degree in public administration. Just outstanding employee, had run a gauntlet in CPIS, and so we're going to really get educated up. So Mia, thanks again for joining us. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. So one of the things I always do when I talk to our guests is try to get the why. Why BSO? Why did you join CPIS? The story. So tell us about what sucked you in. <laughs> back in 2004 and got you engaged in, in law enforcement? So, you know, when I graduated from FAM, uh, I did a few other things, probation, I did uh, drug abuse counseling, but I wanted to work for a great agency. And I've always known about BSO. Um, I had my sister-in-law work there. And when I met my husband, he kept encouraging me to do it. So when I applied, I originally always wanted to go maybe into um, the detention classification. I knew I wanted to work somewhere in the jail. Mm -hmm. But things just didn't happen that way for me. I applied to several positions within the agency and CPIS called first. And, you know, it's funny because I always said when I used to see things about DCF on the news, I was like, I don't want to do that. That sounds scary. You know, but, you know, I always believe that you're put in places for a reason. So I just started my career here back in 2004 and I've been here since then, kind of just worked my way up. That's awesome. So there's your why. Now, for a lot of people that hear CPIS, 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 right? And, and in law enforcement, we're horrible, right? All we do is throw acronyms at people, the ATF, the, the DEA, the FBI, HIDA, all these acronyms. We're like, what, what are you talking about? So CPIS, Child Protective Investigative Services. Tell us about that and what's typical of your function and your staff. What do you all do? So basically, we're here um, and the Broward Sheriff's Office says we have the full responsibility of all county child protective investigations, and we operate under a multi-year grant agreement with the Florida Department of Children and Families. So 
Like you said, we've been here since 1999. And when a reported uh, concern of either child abuse, neglect, or abandonment by a caregiver, or any other person who's responsible for the well-being of a child um, is reported to us, we investigate it in our specialized unit, CPIS. And because Broward County does rank the highest amongst all the other Florida counties for the number of abuse reports we receive, we have an extensive array of services, collaborations just devoted to CPIS. Uh, additionally, here at CPIS, we have one wonderful captain, uh, one sergeant, four managers, 65 certified investigators, about 16 supervisors, nine, I think 19 support personnel. So all of these employees work very hard. On whoa, 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 whoa. I, you, you started out and said we have one wonderful captain and then everybody else was normal. Are you paid? Are you being paid by Captain Eddie McCardle right now to, to make these lovely comments about him? I'll call him later. Don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. I'll call him later. Uh, but you were saying, you were talking about your staffing. All right, big group, it seems like, large volume of folks. Yes, it is. And like I was saying, they do work extremely hard, um, effort, effortlessly every day to ensure child safety across Broward County. You know, one comment that you did allude to, and I'm not sure if you know exactly numbers, but we'll take an estimate. You said, you know, we have the highest amount of service calls than anywhere else in the state when it comes to child protective investigative cases or those type of what, what are we talking about? Are we talking a couple hundred thousand? Are we talking about, you know, what, what's that look like? So just last year alone, we had over 11,000 abuse reports. Wow. And that was for 2021. So we're very busy, open 24-7. It, it does not stop at CPIS. We have supervisors who are on call rotating on a regular basis. So it doesn't stop. You know, one of the things I've seen in my career as a law enforcement officer and going out to these scenes and working with CPIS is that we, as a law enforcement personnel, we always get on scene first. We go through scene security uh, before we allow you as an investigator to come in and evaluate the child, interview the parents, everything else. Uh, what's one of these things that you've seen as kind of that telltale sign that maybe a kid has been abused, but they just aren't there yet to where they have the confidence or... or, or um, security to tell you, because that's always something you're navigating around, correct? That is, that's very true. Some telltale signs of child abuse can be unexplained injuries. So for instance, if a child comes to school and they have an injury, a black eye, and they can't explain it, there's no plausible explanation, that should raise a red flag. Um, you know, you should try to ask the child, you know, what happened? Obviously, we don't want people just calling in child abuse reports because they, they think something happened and they had, you know, no proof of it. We want to, you know, you, we want to make sure that you're actually su suspecting valid child abuse. So if unexplained injuries, black eyes, fading bruises. Um, if a child is absent a long time from school and then they come back with marks on them, they seem frightened, they express fear of their parents, they don't want to go home when it's time to go home, they're stealing, begging for food, money. Or they're telling you, so a lot of the times children will just tell you up front, hey, I'm being left home alone. My sister and I are left home alone and I, we're only two and four years old. You know, they'll say that. So, you know, um, it, it's good to know those signs. And when you do recognize those signs, everybody is responsible to make sure that they notify the child abuse hotline. So let's start there, right? Let's say I'm a parent. Uh, I've noticed that my neighbor's kids have all these little indicators that they may be in abuse. Uh, but I don't want to get involved, right? This is my neighbor. I don't want my name out there. 
you know, Susan 99% of the time is a sweet lady, but I don't want to get her in trouble, right? That's a real approach that we deal with in, in society. So what is that 1-800 number, maybe something that they could at least get the tip out, get the content out so that the community uh, or an individual could at least have a professional evaluate it? So the number is 1-800-96-ABUSE. And callers can remain anonymous. I want to make that very clear. You can remain anonymous. Your, the reporter information is confidential. Um, however, we do encourage reporters to ensure that the information they provide us is accurate and it's not false information because you're upset at a neighbor. Right. You know, we do get a lot of those, you know, this person's upset um, because the Florida law does penalize reporters for knowingly calling in false re abuse reports. And it takes a lot of time for my investigators also. And, and, you know, the focus is supposed to be on children who are really suspected to be abused or neglected. And we're focusing on false reports. That, that's unfair. And like for folks who are listening out there, this is not a game. It's not a time to be vindictive uh, and use tools that are generated and really designed to protect our most viable assets, our kids, uh, as a mechanism to uh, attack individuals on. So I hope that we don't have that type of irresponsibility too frequent. And if they do, uh, most certainly understand we're going to hold you accountable. Uh, you know, Mia, another thing here that I just want to talk about, is, which is unique, but it makes sense is the big role that you all play when it comes to human trafficking and identifying individuals that may exhibit those signs. What, what does that partnership look like when you're working with, you know, human traffic investigators? So it's a combined effort with law enforcement and the investigators. So at CPIS, there's about 20 uh, certified human traffic investigators. These investigators have received, received specialized ongoing training certified to work with these victims. So they work in conjunction to gain that rapport with these victims and take whatever necessary steps to ensure that the children, you know, the children are safe. There's a specialized tool that they're required to use. It's in a non-threatening environment. They're very well prepared to ask questions in an appropriate manner because we have to keep in mind, we have to be sensitive to the children's needs. And depending on what the circumstances are, we can offer a safe home or either send them back to their loved ones with services. Are you seeing, you know, like overall, I looked at a human trafficking task force and the group that we talked about. And here in Broward County, unfortunately, we had an increase uh, in human trafficking. Are you seeing much of it with our youth, with the kids and things that you're dealing with? There's a lot of human trafficking that's occurring in Broward County. I mean, Florida in general, a huge county for human trafficking but we have a lot of that going on in Broward County as you know Broward County is very transit you know we have a lot of people in and out a lot of things going on down here Miami's not far from us with all the events going on there so we do have a lot of cases that we receive uh, for human trafficking in Broward and you know with your experience 18 years in this field uh, and watching Broward County evolve what do you think is probably one of your biggest concerns that you have right now with the direction, right? The direction that things are going um, in terms of what you're seeing, kids getting exposed, getting abused. What do I mean, Mia? One of the things I've seen with COVID-19 uh, taking place and we went into lockdowns and shelters and everything else, we had an increase in child abuse cases, right? Because more people were home. Uh, we've seen an increase in domestic violence. Are you concerned about anything that's either, you know, lingering from COVID or anything else? Uh, we have a we have a lot of cases. A, a big bulk of our cases, as a matter of fact, are for drugs, substance, um, for that for the mental health component. You know, um, for domestic violence. You're right. With COVID, people are at home. You're drinking more. A lot of people have lost their jobs. Yeah. You know, 
And a lot of the times, too, what happened when COVID occurred also, our primary source of reporting are the schools. So, you know, children go to school and the, the teachers or whoever it might be may report it to us. So a lot of times when COVID hit, a lot of the times we didn't know what was going on because we didn't have those schools, you know, reporting things to us. That's You're losing, I, you start losing intelligence. Exactly, exactly. But those are the biggest barriers we have right now is dealing with the substance. Um, a lot of drug use going on that's directly impacting the care of children, the safety of children. A lot of um, mental health, some diagnosed, some undiagnosed, ongoing issues. I mean, we do have, a, like I said before, a rare services to assist us with that. Uh, but that's what we're seeing right now. That's really what we're dealing with in that domestic violence. Well, you know, one of the things I just want to make, I express to you and everybody in CFIS, one, we really appreciate everything that you're doing. I mean, it, it, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, those are some tough cases. You know, I can remember as an officer and as an investigator going into some of these rooms and saying, man, how do these women, how do these people do this? This is really tough. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, absorption of all these, you know, horrific things that you've seen. What, what do you, what would you say to a young person looking to become a CPS investigator? How do they manage that? How do they handle those stressors? So before you become a CPS investigator, I would say this, do a ride along, see what we do. Because a lot of the times it's a culture shock for people, especially those young people coming right out of college. You yeah. think, you know, you read one thing, you learn one thing in school, and then when you get out, the reality is like, oh my goodness, it's a culture shock. Right. You know, so I would say do a ride along, talk to us. I mean, we're, we're right there, we're available for you to talk about, you know, the job and what we experience. The investigators who are new and come in and, you know, have done the ride along, they tend to do better in this field because they know what to expect. But I mean, it is a lot. It's a lot of cases. Um, a lot of the investigators, you know, it's difficult sometimes to, to find to, to find that line of your personal life, that work life balance. You know, yeah. it's hard. You see a lot. It's just like you know, police officers. You see a lot. You take a lot home with you. You know, so it's important to know what you're getting into. You got to be dedicated to it. Like I said myself, I've been here for 18 years. I'm dedicated. I'm here, you know, to the end. This is what I do. This is what I like to do. I care about child safety and I enjoy working with the community. And I would also say for those who are interested in this job, if you're, you have to be a people person, you know, you have, you're working with the community. You, you can't be in this, this industry at all. If you don't care about people, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly, you have to be able to care for them. And look, 18 years uh, in this industry, seeing all that you've seen, witnessed all you've witnessed, all the tears, all the hard work. Uh, it's it goes without saying. Yeah, you are you're you're committed. We know that, and we appreciate it. I appreciate it. We want more of it. Um, but the reality is, the other side of it is because of how complex these cases are and the stressors that occur. We always are concerned about the attrition aspect and the loss of really good investigators. What do you think? Some of the things we can do to hold on to those uh, investigators who are at the crossroad, right? Five years in six years in, seven years in, now they're like, hmm, I don't know, this is tough. Uh, how do we hold on to that? So I would, I've always said this as a manager over my platoon and my co-managers, I know that they can support me when I say this. We try to be there as much for our staff as possible to provide them with the support that they need. That is so important when they're out there on the field because we've all been investigators. We know how it is. We know that it's hard. We always try to support that work-life balance as best as we can. But you know, on the other hand, the cases continue to come in and we have to deal with it. And sometimes it gets difficult to balance. 
I encourage everybody, you know, to, to take their vacation time, have a take a break from work. You know, that mental health is very important because you're no good to the families that you serve if you're not mentally there or mentally stable. So we always encourage them, you know, here's the support. We encourage the supervisors to be supportive as well. You know, any employee dedication or any employee, you know, things that we can do to help them, that's what we do to help support them. It, it makes the day go by a little bit better. You know, sure. when they know that the staff is there and we have their back and we're supporting them and that we understand that the job is hard. And we're always trying to implement different things, asking for input. Hey, what do you think about this? I think staff, you know, input is extremely important. Communication with them is extremely important, you know, and making sure we take care of our people. You know, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the importance of communication because it, it has to be a uh, top-down, bottom-up approach, meeting in the middle, and communication has to go horizontal. It just can't be vertical. You got to make sure that we're spreading the message out across those peers and everything else. And I got to tell you, I've seen that uh, in my visits over at CEPAS, just the cohesion, the family-oriented type environment, people being free to speak. And I love going over to CEPAS because no one bites their tongue. Everybody will tell me the hard truth, no matter what captain's in the room, what sergeant's in the room, they're going to let it rip. They're going to tell the sheriff the truth. And, and look, for, for all those folks who are listening over there, I love you for it. Don't ever bite your tongue around me because we're not going to make any progress if we're afraid to speak on the matters um, that are important for this community. So for those of you who are coming in on the back end, today I have another special guest with me, one of our managers over at the Child Protective Investigative Services, one of our core groups that does great work, Mia Pick Pickney, who has been with us for 18 years, a BSO veteran, AKA OG, uh, who's been around, she's smiling guys. So who's been around, she liked that one, who's been around for a long time. Mia, thank you for coming on our show. And anytime you have any type of content that you wanna push out to the community about CEPAS, feel free. Any last uh, numbers or contact information you wanna push out that may help some of the community or parents or kids out there? Well, I just want to stress that if you do suspect any type of child abuse um, and it's a valid suspicion, please make sure that you call the 1-800-96-ABUSE um, abuse number. Hey, I, I really believe that our children are our future. We want to make sure that we're taking care of them. You know, so we're here. If you need us, call us if you need additional services. As I said before, we work with a lot of different agencies. Reach out. We can refer you to those services as needed. Awesome. So great way to close it. For everyone who joined us today, thank you for joining me on Shop Talk with the Sheriff. Remember to follow me on Instagram at BSO Sheriff Tony. It's not a stunt double. It's me. Also subscribe to the podcast so you get early alerts for every new episode. In the meantime, stay safe, be humble, and love somebody a little bit more than you love yourself. Thank you.